said, what are you going to do? And I was thinking of having some of those fabulous sprouts from Brussels as a side item with my... Give me that! Hell, that man stole my purse! Trouble's afoot. I'll surely save the day once I change into my superhero suit. First my shirt. Damn, lost a button. I'm using that again. Now my pants. Okay, let me take my shoes off and open a dimensional portal to get my boots and place my clothes in there. Must. Get. Boots. On. There. Now a dab of eye black. My mask. Pinch my cheeks for that rosy look. And don't worry, madam. I'll stop him. Stop, ne'er-do-weller! Alpaca-man! Your powers are no match for my high-velocity projectile launcher! <laughs> your weapons are useless against Alpaca-man! For I have the strength of 19 alpacas and the speed of 8. Now, to spin my fleecy yarn and tie you up! Arg! Alrighty, what seems to be the problem here? That awful man tried to steal my purse, but Alpaca-man stopped him! Thank you, Alpaca-man! All in a day's work for Alpaca Man! Now I'm off to battle crime in a far-off galaxy! Up, up, and away! You're coming with me, lawbreaker. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third person? I don't know, but he sure is handsome. If only I knew his backstory. His backstory. Backstory. Dr. Aloysius Ferdinand, farmer. A scientist searching for a way to alleviate the oppressive boredom with his alpacas. Then, after heating a hot pocket, an accidental overdose of microwave radiation alters his body chemistry. And now, when Aloysius Ferdinand witnesses wrongdoing, a startling metamorphosis occurs, in which he changes his clothes and becomes Alpaca Man! As a child, most males at some point wanted superpowers. I can't speak for women in the audience due to an Alabama court order, but something about being able to fly through the air, deflect high-velocity projectiles, pick cars up off of hapless mechanics when their jacks fail, or just use your x-ray vision to check out the ladies has a certain appeal to guys. I suspect if you delve any deeper, you'll quickly discover that it was mostly due to the cool factor of it all, and probably some fame, but less about actually wanting to save the lives of people. The people that really want to help people probably grow up to be doctors or social workers or help direct traffic on the highway of death in South America. And so it is with a heavy heart and a painful itch that I'd like to blather about all the reasons why we don't have superheroes, even if superpowers really did exist. And I fully acknowledge that many superheroes have no special powers beyond a large wallet and a desire to wear exceedingly tight-fitting clothing in public. I'm not concerned with the technicalities of how they can fly, how they can be so strong, how they can have skin that deflects bullets and yet remains pliable enough to move, or even how x-ray vision works. I can suspend my disbelief enough to accept that, yeah, that's the whole point. They have superhuman abilities. But let's suppose that superpowers do exist, and or people want to help others enough to forego a normal life in order to prance around after dusk in search of bad guys. What if superheroes really existed and they had these powers? What issues arise that might not make them wanted? Because I've got nothing better to do, I'm going to focus on what I believe to be the three most popular superheroes. Superman, Spider-Man, and Batman. I'll probably mention some other heroes like uh, Wonder Woman or El Hoque Incredible. 
Or maybe even that most feared of heroes, the one named after the Flashlight's predecessor. The one that, at some point, was easily defeated by sunflowers. Green Lantern. Now since I'm entering the treacherous region of defiling comic books, I need to qualify something. I don't actually read comic books. Nothing against them, I just, just never got into them. But for many friends I have that do read comic books, and for those that aren't aware, there really isn't a pure story for Superman, Spider-Man, and Batman. A combination of various comic authors, the movies, several iterations of cartoons, and maybe some animosity between Lee and Kirby have polluted their story so that, just like the Bible, any discrepancy can be solved by finding a passage or issue somewhere that corroborates how you want things to be. So how can I talk about these comic creations without having read them? Well, most of what I'm going to mention is fairly generic and actually applies to a broad range of heroes. First on my attack list is perhaps the first thing you'll notice about a superhero. Their costume. These stretch pants with molded plastic pectorals distinctly identify which hero is either saving you from a moon-mounted laser beam cutting through your city, or if you're the villain, is kicking your butt up and down Gotham Boulevard. Now aside from the fact that most of these costumes indicate a certain amount of conceit, since they're beyond revealing, and about the only thing you can't tell from them is the size of their dorsal vein, their costume raises certain practicality issues. For example, bringing it with you at all times. You could wear your super costume under your daily clothes while trudging to work as a reporter or a professional concrete screeder. This makes for easy changes when danger is near, and you can sprint through an alley and rip off your shirt and pants like some late-for-work male stripper. But where do you keep your boots? I think Superman distinctly wears boots. Big, bright, red boots that wouldn't do much to further his career as a mainstream photographer. They might help in the North Pole, but Metropolis? They're simply a fashion no-no. Now, now, Clark knows this, and is only seen wearing brown loafers. So where did he put his boots? When he goes running through the alley and tears his shirt off, and then the next scene he's flying through the air, cape flapping behind him, they always leave out the part where he kicks off his shoes and struggles to get his boots on. I'm also very unclear about where he puts his clothes and shoes, since he doesn't have pockets to speak of. And shoes require a pretty damn large pocket. And here's another thought. Where was the cape? As a professional who tucks in his shirts... I can tell you that shirts require retucking throughout the day. Normal sitting, walking, and skulking around the vending machines cause your shirt to work its way out of its untuckitude over time. So I can see him cramming his cape into his pants, but it's not going to stay tucked in very well and will require frequent adjustments. It's also really long, so does he have it going all the way down one pant leg? That seems about as comfortable as being a pit bull dewormed by Michael Vick. And it precludes him from wearing shorts. I mean, at least Batman has to go back to his Batcave to get his costume and futility belt. Spider-Man has no cape, but supposedly he's ready for spider-based action any time of the day and wears his costume under his clothes. So I'm not certain if he wears boots or not. It doesn't seem like rigid footwear would be a plus when you have a natural ability to hang off the side of old lady Crenshaw's brownstone. But Spidey's got to deal with a ski mask and a pair of gloves. I guess he could just disguise those as a snot rag most of the time, but, but red? A red snot rag? <laughs> Both the amazing Spider-Man and the phenomenal Superman have a habit of tearing off their shirts to change into their malfactor abatement garments. So where do they put their street clothes? They wear their super garb under their normal clothes, but I've never seen them revert back into plain clothes, man. Clark often wears simple white shirts, so it's possible he just pitches them in the gutter. White button-down shirts are easy to come by. But then again, he's required to get some fairly thick shirts so his blue tights and giant S don't show through. That's an added expense that most of us don't have, buying shirts in bulk and actually using them all. And what about his glasses? He can't just throw those away. So he must carry them with him, and his shoes, and his change of shirts, and his pants. Where's he putting all this? 
I could see him just leaving it in the alley and praying some anemic, dehydrated hobo doesn't find them. Otherwise, there could be some homeless guy that makes a living off finding Clark's clothes and selling them on eBay. I guess Superguy could place them on top of a building beyond a hobo's reach. But that's time that could be spent saving Lois from an Eiffel Tower elevator accident. While not really part of his costume, it's unique to Superman that the removal of glasses and a quick dab of hair gel and BAM! No one can make the connection. He's obviously traveling with a pocket comb and a travel hair dryer. That bulge in his pants is a traveling shaving kit full of Alberto VO5, Barbasol, and various other unguents. After fighting an audacious battle with an animated statue of Ben Franklin, I'm sure Clark uses his heat vision to press wrinkles out of his street clothes before he goes back to normal life. You don't want to take the wrinkled clothes you tossed on the ground and put those back on. The simply amazing Spider-Man must carry around a travel iron to accomplish the same task. At least I'm not aware of any natural dry-cleaning faculties of the orb-weaver spider. Otherwise, returning to his alter ego would leave him looking like a slovenly bum that steals others' clothes. Yes, there's answers to all of those questions. I guess. Hey, wouldn't it get hot wearing two sets of clothes all day? Wouldn't even a superhero sweat like a stuck pig? I've got to believe that super sweat must stink worse than regular guy sweat. Maybe Spidey has the natural cooling powers of the formidable octo-legged southern brown recluse. Normally when discussing super outerwear over Sambucas, the subject of Superman's suit's ability to deflect bullets arises. Sure, his epidermis has the innate ability to stave off bullet-induced death, but how can his clothes? Shouldn't they be shredded? Well, the answer, so I'm told, is that both Superman and his earthly mom made the costume out of the baby blanket he slept on during his interplanetary journey. They never talk about how he was supposed to eat or how he went to the bathroom in that pod. I, I guess if you're not eating, uh... Anyway, he used his heat vision to burn the blanket because it's somehow impervious to anything but warm beams of light. And I, I guess he stared at the sewing machine needle while his mom sewed the stitches since if a forty-five can't penetrate it, it's not likely that an upholstery needle is going to either. Now the story leaves out the whole idea that she'd need Krypton thread for the seams, otherwise it'd fall apart faster than Ray Brent Marsh's defense case. You know, a suit is only as strong as its weakest thread. So he's got himself a super suit that can withstand whatever he can. Don't you think NASA would want to know how his suit can survive re-entry into Earth's atmosphere? I think a material that seems to thwart extreme heat would be of great value to NASA. You'd also think Fruit of the Loom would want to know how he can travel horizontally at supersonic speeds without pulling his pants down or getting a wedgie. Think of how revolutionary his suit alone would be for the textile industry. Meanwhile, in another part of the city... So our superhero's out on a fourth date with Alexis. He really likes her, and he can tell by her giggling that she likes him too. They go back to her place so he can show her her award-winning stamp collection. Soon, the excitement of adhesive-backed correspondence vouchers becomes too much for either of them. Philately is such a turn-on. They embrace in a deep, tongue-engrossed kiss. Slowly, she unbuttons our hero's top button as she stares him in the eye with a smirk-laden look. Now the second button. The third. She looks down to admire his chest. <laughs> Only to see what to her is a pair of full-length Spider-Man underoos. Ladies, what do you think of a grown man that wears full-body pajamas with superhero logos under their daily clothes? Yeah, that's what I thought. Maybe that's why they always focus on just a single woman. Super PJs aren't conducive to one-night stands. Wearing your costume under your clothes just makes things difficult. And in the movies, it seems like something always goes wrong during their date, so they couldn't just skip it that night. Eh. All this discussion about costumes and why it'd be more practical to just hire a butler to follow you around with your alternate attire begs the question, why not just ditch the clothes and be Comfortable Man, the world's first slacks-wearing superhero? Well, second, first there was Puma Man. 
why wear the stinking outfit at all? First of all, Leela said it best when she stated that superheroes cause a lot of collateral damage. You don't want some angry citizen presenting you with a bill because you used his car as a baseball bat when you stopped that meteorite from destroying the east side of Egg Sac City. But aside from that, superheroes want to live at least part of their lives in a normal manner. Despite their powers, they still have certain basic needs like eating food, buying plasma TVs, expelling wastes in both solid and liquid form, purchasing a gross of white shirts, and having unsuspecting friends at their disposal. It's hard to do these things while wearing tights. Well, it's not physically difficult, but the image of a superhero somehow diminishes when you see Batman in line at Publix buying shoe polish, a box of Frankenberry, and a 12-pack of Charmin. I'm gonna need to see some ID if you're paying by check, hon. I'm Batman. So a secret identity affords them all the normal, boring aspects of life that they just wouldn't be able to have otherwise, including a job to fund their midnight marauding. And besides, they gotta clean their suit sometime. But in addition, it protects the people they know. Supervillains would constantly be using your friends, co-workers, and family as hostages or bait or just plain old-fashioned revenge. But enough of their foolish costumes and all the problems those present. There's something much more problematic. And that's the very people they're trying to save. Unfortunately, the world is full of selfish, spiteful individuals. It's also full of normal people who just want to keep their children safe and their commemorative plates unbroken. These everyday humans bring about the problems of public resentment. I doubt everyone would welcome superheroes' exploits with open arms, even if you have nothing to hide and believe what I say. While many people would feel threatened by the fact that there's an armed vigilante roaming the streets, others, who in fact did sleep better at nights thanks to a man dressed as a winged mammal, would probably lay massive quantities of blame at a superhero's feet whenever unhindered trouble did occur. They would blame the hero for not stopping the violence. Pick any recent natural disaster. People get upset if the government doesn't assist them quickly enough. So, uh, considering that I think it's safe to say that there's some type of crime or tragedy always occurring somewhere, at least globally, what about all the crimes that Clark, Bruce, or Peter don't stop? You know, because they're at work, or Bone and Lois, or MJ, or their suits at the cleaners. Just like some people resent God when he allows certain bad things to happen to their family, would people resent a crime-fighting bat for not saving their daughter in a school fire? Sure, it wasn't his fault, and the firemen weren't able to save her either, but the firemen are just regular heroes. They're not superheroes. I think several superheroes actually have supervillains from just that. The hero failed to save someone dear to the soon-to-be villain, and the villain vowed revenge. Now, in those cases, often the hero is at least directly involved, if not the cause. But I'm talking about Superman just not showing up. He had a rough night last night pulling cats out of trees and keeping sexy late-night store clerks from being harassed by brutish teenagers and just wanted to sleep an extra 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Long enough for Jefferson Elementary to catch on fire and little Cynthia to choke to death, never to hunt another Easter egg. And Cynthia's reckless driving dad is upset that someone didn't do something. People die often. Many deaths could be prevented. If superheroes really existed, I suspect many people would wind up hating them for their failure to prevent the eternal rest that will befall us all at some point. And would lawyers bring class action lawsuits against superheroes for failing to save others? Your Honor, my client's child, along with 30 others, were killed by a runaway chicken truck one block away from Spider-Man who was saving an elderly senile gentleman from slipping on his driveway while getting the paper. We demand one million dollars. What if the Batmobile's self-driving software makes a mistake and runs over a child? Lawsuits? You bet. But this raises an even larger issue. 
The general public doesn't have self-driving vehicles, but I'm sure more than a few people would be willing to pay extra for such a contraption. Teams of people are actively developing self-driving cars right now, and we have them to a degree, and yet some lone guy who claims he wants to help people and proves it repeatedly has managed to procure this ability for his car, and he's not sharing it with anyone, not even the military. Hmm. So he's keeping advanced technology away from us, even though it could be highly beneficial to us. Remember, this guy devoted his life to clandestine tasks of life-saving. Think of how many people die in car accidents each day. Bruce has a vehicle that could at least lessen the death toll. Imagine what it could do for drunk drivers. I mean, it just takes control of your car for them and lets them pass out or barf in the back seat. And this guy who spends his evenings perched upon building ledges looking to stop a couple of muggings a week won't give the rest of us the technology that could prevent thousands of deaths a year all across the world. What a selfish bastard. It's a conspiracy, I tells you. Conspiracy, huh? Well, I, I hate to use this as a repeated example, but it's a real-world issue that works in so many places. There was this event a few years ago where some people destroyed a couple of large buildings. Now, it was a conspiracy. That is, a secret plan to do harm, and it was carried out. But there are people that claim it, there was a conspiracy within the conspiracy, despite the fact that those responsible have claimed responsibility. So would conspiracy nuts want... Wait, that's nuts isn't PC. Would conspiracy mentally challenged people, who are crazier than a shithouse rat, accuse superheroes of causing accidents and working with supervillains in the biggest collusion scam since doctors and insurance companies with their excessive medical tests? People would probably notice they didn't have supervillains until they got superheroes. Notice the heroes usually come first. And I'm sure they would spend quite a bit of effort trying to find the link between Batman and the Joker. These would be the people from which the superheroes would need to hide their secret identity, and these would be the people that would seek that identity most vigorously. More vigorously than that shower I took after watching the recent Incredible Hulk movie. But aside from these nuts, there's a very real and tangible reason why we could all dislike superheroes. They seem to have complete disregard for public and private property. Especially when they're driving or fighting. They plow in other cars, run red lights, and use car doors as shields and mailboxes as projectiles. They throw bad guys through billboards, walls, and detailed ice sculptures. When you're fighting some evil genius who's already trying to destroy the city, you're probably going to tear things up in the exchange. Not just from throwing mailboxes at the guy, yeah, my letter to grandma. but also from punches that hurl the guy through the wall of a sausage factory and then take out the casing machine. Yeah, my grandma's sausage. The fight itself will destroy things. It's just like a barroom brawl, but they do more than the ubiquitous sticking someone's head through the jukebox. I've never known why the barkeeps don't start yelling about that. Nah, that jukebox was a family heirloom. My grandma's gonna kill me. I'll wager some people would sue superheroes for destroying their property. Never mind that a meteorite was about to destroy the east side of Egg Sac City. Superman used your car as a baseball bat. Your Honor, we demand that Superman keep a minimum 500 feet distance from my client. And to ensure that, not only do we ask for one million dollars, but also seven ounces of kryptonite to enforce this distance. They also break numerous windows, incessantly utilizing them for ingress and egress. So on the opposite side, Pella must love them. Their sales are up 20% since Batman started using the fourth floor bay window as an entrance to Commissioner Gordon's office. Of course, some reporter would make the connection and smell more collusion between Batman and Pella with Gordon getting a kickback for leaving the window shut. Batman's just an elaborate window replacement system. Insurance companies. What? Insurance companies. They spend millions of dollars trying to determine how strong various things are, such as the ability of roofing materials to survive hail assaults. You've got to believe they really wouldn't like superheroes that destroy massive amounts of their surroundings, 
collateral damage. Insurance companies are a business. They don't make their money writing out checks to pay out claims. So if they didn't just flat out sue Batman or lobby for his removal, anyone who lived in Gotham would pay higher premiums just because of the increased likelihood of being blighted in a duel between the forces of good and evil. It is my understanding that in some states, police are not allowed to fire at fleeing suspects in a car. The chance of killing innocent bystanders is too great. You might shoot the driver, but then the car, now driverless, runs over the state's fifth grade spelling bee champion. Ouch. I've even heard some states have at least considered outlawing high-speed pursuits altogether. Numerous uninvolved people often get injured or become killed as the suspect speeds through red lights and sideswipes vacationers on the highways who merely want to see the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. But they wind up dead. So if we're considering pulling in the reins on our own law enforcement, I'm certain we don't want a vigilante running amok destroying $8 million worth of property in an effort to stop a guy who stole $200 worth of fertilizer. But that $200 of fertilizer could be used to make a bomb. Batman's saving millions of lives. Are you saying that millions of lives aren't worth millions of dollars, you hate-filled man, you? Well, I agree. Millions of lives are worth millions of dollars. However, in real life, the villains aren't so obvious. He's not the guy with the black hat laughing maniacally about destroying the city. If they went around making those types of claims and acting like a lunatic publicly laughing about killing people, the regular authorities would most likely arrest them. If you're that insane, you're probably really easy to spot. The real bad guys carefully craft their image so as to appear as a good guy. Well, most of them anyway. But how about something much less destructive? Spider-Man requires this web-like rope to maneuver through the city as quickly as he does. This leaves considerable webbing stuck to the sides of buildings. Normally people love having cobwebs adhered to their buildings to give it that spooky Halloween effect, but when you consider how much it costs to have the windows of a high-rise cleaned, they might change their mind when it dawns on them they now have to clean them more often. Maybe this webbing has been formulated to disappear after some amount of time, but I wouldn't want it on my house for ten minutes. I'd also be ticked if his webbing is knocking over plants on my balcony while he's swinging through the air. You might say, but he's saving lives! Yes. Well, we have rules that we make our real-life law enforcement agencies follow. Why should a superhero be any different? In fact, he's operating totally under his own jurisdiction, so that would just further make people want to stop him. Otherwise, what's to prevent me from shooting silly string all over my neighbor's house and saying, hey, I was trying to stop a burglar? Or roll in their yard with toilet paper and claim I saw a squirrel that didn't wipe its ass? Speaking of our own law enforcement agencies, for a police detective, I think the one thing that makes them brave the gunshots and cope with the awful smell of the little girl's body left in a shallow grave at I-85 in Beaver Ruin is the thrill of spending weeks or even months tracking down the horrible guy that did these things, gathering the evidence, taking testimonials, building his case, knowing he's making a difference. And then it culminates in one moment after driving into work and finding the guy tied up and webbing by the front door of the police station with a note pinned to him from your friendly neighborhood hog all the glory man. That's right, our justice system has nothing to do with guilt or innocence or proof. It's all about apprehension. You tie someone up, bam, they're going to jail. So not only did the superhero not help build the case that actually puts the guy away, but in the eyes of the public, they get all the credit. I bet cops just love that. Occasionally they bring a smidgen of evidence. That was usually gathered illegally. This, of course, raises the question, would the justice system be allowed to accept criminals handed to them by superheroes? Would the criminal get off just by saying they were never read their rights, or would it be considered a citizen's arrest? Remember, these superheroes are just regular citizens in the eyeballs of the law. So when you're referring to two citizens, I'm not sure one citizen's word carries more weight than another's legally. It's just Spider-Man's word against Johnny Sachs. 
And even if their package is accepted, I'm pretty sure that requires the hero to show up in court and testify. I'm not certain you can testify wearing a mask and using the name Robin. Well, maybe you can. There have probably been a few anonymous testimonials from individuals who wore a mask and a set of giant butterfly wings. But why should their word be more trustworthy than anyone else's? I recall a really bad movie with Christopher Reeve, see, I said it right that time, and Richard Pryor where a block of artificial kryptonite turns Superman's skin all dry and flaky and he goes from do-gooder to evildoer in less time than you can say, Help! I'm on fire! This presents the very real problem of superheroes gone bad. The hottest, wildest superheroes gone bad. Hey, Clark, show us your super suit. Woo! They've gone bad, and they'll bear it all on camera. What? Watch, watch me show you this guy one-handed. Oops, that had to hurt. Plus, hot superhero on superhero action. They don't call me the Man of Steel for nothing, baby. And you won't believe what this dynamic duo does behind closed doors. Too real for TV. Act now and you also get sidekick bloopers. Can you really trust a superhero to follow due process? We have a series of checks and balances that vigilantes don't have to follow. Superheroism is an unregulated industry with no accountability. What's to stop them from being adversely affected by artificial criminite, fall under the spell of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or just get angry at some rich, handsome guy that's merely making a play on their would-be woman? Just because a guy with an eye patch and an old lady are wrestling for a package doesn't mean the guy is bad. Extra, extra, old lady Crenshaw strikes again, crime spree from elderly package thief. That's why we have due process. You can't just look at a situation and know who is the bad guy and who is the good guy. Some crazy old lady grabbed my bag and tried to run off with it. I held on to it and tried to get her to stop. Then the next thing I know, my ass is trapped on the ground in some sticky net and his Spider-Man tells me to pick on someone my own size. I tried to tell him that the lady attacked me, but he wouldn't listen. Then she ran away with a month's supply of my insulin. I nearly went into diabetic shock. That's why I called David Dicklick and Associates so I can sue the hell out of Spider-Man just as soon as we can find him and serve him. And notice that superheroes are vigilantes. So what if some other non-super vigilante named Sonny decides to attack their oppressor? Just some regular guy decides to beat the crap out of his brother-in-law, Carlo, in the trash can bin for beating his sister, Connie, again. From an outsider's point of view, you would probably think that some stranger started whomping this guy for no reason. The superhero might just beat up whoever's winning, thinking that's the wrongdoer. They're both seeking their own brand of justice, and they choose which butts to kick on their own terms. Just interesting that Batman would probably try to stop the same exact thing he does every day. And that's why police just arrest everyone involved equally. They'll sort it out later. Superheroes just act without realizing the bad guy isn't obvious. But those are reasons why the general public might dislike superheroes. What about their significant others, as it were? Do you think Lois would resent Superman for not settling down? Would she be constantly nagging him about picket fences and flying children? Then if he married her, she would nag him about repeatedly missing Clark Jr.'s baseball game while he was out saving hookers from their pimps. The very thing she loved him for would become the wedge that drives them apart. Then comes the divorce, the legal battle for the hybrid children. They have superpowers only on the left side of their body. The tell-all sex book by Lois that sounds more like an advertisement for Castrol 10W30. This could happen to any superhero and would probably add to their already teetering mental state. Mental state, huh? Think of what kind of mental state you must be in to even start making a costume. Not, not just draw it out, 
but head off to the craft store to actually start making it. Take Batman, for instance. His parents are killed, and he grows up being angry for years, and this drives his desire to become... No, not a cop that can arrest criminals. Not a politician to create better living conditions or to reduce crime. Not a daytime TV host trying to entertain criminals enough to not commit crimes. No, he decides that ignoring the healthy benefits of a good night's sleep and dressing up like an oversized cave-lodging nocturnal mammal to assault petty thugs is the way to bring order and rightness into the world. Now, I understand taking the law into your own hands for a specific event. I'm not saying I endorse it or deny it. I just, I understand that. But how many people in the audience out there are going to put on a cape and mask, come up with an alternate name, and then go out and fight people every night? After three or four months, I've got to believe most people would grow weary of this and just want to get some sleep. What do we call it when someone ignores their own health and focuses on a single aspect of life, be it crime-fighting, food, World of Warcraft, or alcohol? The umbrella term would be an obsession. Obsession for crime fighters. This is not really a good thing. Is this the kind of person you want defending your city? A sleep-deprived, obsessed introvert in a poncho? There's a fine line between fishing and just standing on the shore like an idiot. I mean, between being a superhero and being a psychopath. I think their behavior might warrant institutional detention. Bruce Wayne really needs some psychological counseling. He needs to get over his parents' death. It's been 20 to 30 years, for Christ's sakes. Danny needs to take up some hobbies that don't revolve around roundhouse kicks. Twig whittling, perhaps, or maybe opening a boat rental hut. Now consider that this person feels so compelled to fight for justice and goes to such extreme lengths to do so. Man, that's drive. That's initiative. That's determination and what other synonyms you can think of. This person really, really cares. Not just some guy who chose to be a cop from 9 to 5. This person's going way beyond the call of duty. Damn, this is one caring mother. And then they see newspaper articles and TV interviews with the family of the people he couldn't save. The mother and father of Cynthia are crying over their loss along with the other parents, and this supposed superhero couldn't save them. If only he'd been faster, thought things through more thoroughly, could see into the future or clone himself. This would eat at this person driving them into a shame spiral. The guilt they felt over the parents' death would pale in comparison. He was a kid when his parents were killed. There was nothing he could do, but as a full-grown adult wearing pajamas, he should have been there. Should have saved those children. Should have found those hikers. Should have prevented those trains from colliding. This would haunt them in what little sleep they got and further their obsessive behavior. The lives, the lives they should have saved. Sleep would only come after severe drugs and even then would be filled with images of screaming from those that weren't saved. Why didn't you save me? It's your fault I'm dead. I don't want to go to the zoo anymore, Grandma, no! As they push themselves harder to save everyone, they lose more sleep and become unable to focus. They start taking uppers to counteract the tiredness of the day and downers for the insomnia at night. This wears down both their body and mind. They start making mistakes. More accidents occur as their alert wavers. They redouble their efforts. They can't concentrate at their day job and eventually are fired. Unless they are super wealthy, they just lost their only means to support their crime fight. They can't pay their bills. Children are fleeing the stench emanating from their suit, which really needs cleaning now. Soon their credit cards are maxed out. They can't even refuel their car. They go on job interviews, but their sleepless jittering, disheveled appearance, and bags under their darting eyes and frequent mentioning of Skeletor ensures no one hires them. They're all out of options. And so, in an effort to further their charge of saving lives and stopping evildoers, they take to robbing liquor stores.
They justify it by telling themselves it's for the greater good. If you steal bread to feed your family, it's not a crime. And what if you have a large family? Is it wrong to steal a truckload of bread? And what if your family doesn't like bread? Instead, they like to parade around at night in lingerie, foiling crime. Is that so wrong? And so it goes, stealing at the beginning of their shift, standing on top of buildings, watching for signs of wrongdoings as they cram three musketeers' bars quickly into their mouth for sustenance. Then they finally collapse of exhaustion around 9 a.m., only to start the process over again. They spiral downward until, in a moment of delirium, they fail to get out of the way of a passing greyhound and are splattered on the city streets at night. In the end, he became a criminal himself. The hero has fallen, in at least two senses of the word. Tired, alone, scared, then nothing. Of course, being bitten by an irradiated mule or being born on another planet may change all of that and give them supermental abilities. So maybe they're just mentally fine, if not just a little off. Just a little touched and disturbed. But this doesn't really help blind crime-fighting lawyers like Daredevil. But let's assume they function just fine on minimal sleep, and anyone would be happy to have one of these guys or gals as their parent. What technological issues arise from being a superhero? Remember, I don't want to dispute the existence of their technology and or powers. That's part of the story, and I'm able to suspend my disbelief for brief quarter-arm stretches. The first thing that comes to mind is much of their technology doesn't exist for the masses. Or at all, for that matter, to my knowledge. From things like Spider-Man's webbing or Batman's ubiquitous bat-grappling hook things to the self-driving car that has some type of fold-up shielding. Let's assume that these things exist and somehow the heroes maintain their own manufacturing facility to produce these in complete secrecy. They have in their possession powers and or technology that could be incredibly useful to others. And they're not sharing. I guess that goes along with their psychotic behavior. Some type of super-strong, ultra-thin, inexpensive cabling could be useful in many engineering fields, maybe just for temporary bracing during construction. But does Spidey tell anyone? Nope. I'm all for saving the lives of plummeting women, but I couldn't give a rat's ass about engineering, unless it's an engineering disaster. And while not really being a technology, Spider-Man also has enhanced abilities. He's extra strong and considerably more nimble, and doesn't seem to have any really negative side effects such as headaches or loss of appetite. Maybe others would desire those abilities and are willing to be bitten by ionized arachnids to gain them. It's a quick weight loss and muscle mass building method that's not detectable like steroids. This could revolutionize the Olympics. People might start farming all types of radioactive animals like, uh, uh cuttlefish and hyenas and anteaters. All with the intention of being bitten and then gaining their abilities. Because as we all know, the essence of each of us is most concentrated in our saliva or poison glands. Now, I've already mentioned this, but in many incarnations, the Batmobile can drive itself. We have scientists diligently working on what could be described as a solution for the worst problem to blight mankind since the plague. Talking on cell phones while driving. Oh, and then there's drunk drivers as well. People are killed every damn day in car accidents. Our scientists haven't quite nailed the self-driving car. They're spending millions just doing research and development. They're trying to perfect the software and the sensors. Batman already has this. Somehow, he's got what dozens of specialists don't got. And is he shared? Nope. I'm all in favor of saving the lives of plummeting women, but I couldn't give a rat's ass about stupid people dying as their precious SUVs overturn. Screw them! Serves you right for getting on the highway. If you're so rich and or intelligent that you develop and create these fantastical devices like the Batarang, wouldn't it be helpful to give it to the FBI, CIA, military, or just regular law enforcement? 
But let's forget that. Many superheroes and supervillains rely on a huge support network of people to develop and maintain their various weapons and defenses, as well as build their hidden lairs, which requires them to sign the whole non-disclosure agreement under penalty of death. It's a fact. Mechanical things break. Many things require servicing. Batman seems to have an endless supply of those bat-shaped grappling hooks. Someone has to create those things. On a side note, do you think people would find the discarded batarangs all over town and put them on auction for eBay? Anyway, the Batmobile needs to have its wheels aligned and its oil changed, as well as regular fill-ups. Wonder Woman's plane needs special invisible lubricants as well as replacement invisible landing gear tires. Well, duh. But it changes it from just a one-man vigilante into a team. Yes, the hero could do much of this themselves, but then they're spending much of their time as a backyard mechanic instead of saving lives. Remember, their goal is to save people. They haven't got time for the pain. The more people that come into the picture, the less likely this can stay a secret. And these have to be very high-quality people because they're dealing with radically customized systems. You don't want to trust a one-off car with missiles to Midas when you need a replacement muffler. While welding a new muffler on, they might burn into a hidden missile casing and destroy themselves. So this raises the issue. Wouldn't the guy... Wait, guy? A single guy. One guy is such an expert in superhero vehicle design that he can repair and maintain it? This isn't a 74 VW Beetle. These are highly computerized mechanical war machines. For a single guy to maintain this, his specialties must range from metal smithing and fabrication to hardware and software as well as ballistics and explosives. Oh, and oftentimes this one guy helps out with medical and chemical analysis. Wow, this guy is the smartest guy in the world. Good for us he's locked in some superhero's basement instead of, you know, curing diseases and making alternative fuels. He's not the real hero. He's not even wearing colored pantyhose. Anyway, I don't think a single person could do all this. So back to my original point. Wouldn't this team of guys want some recognition for their work? Wouldn't they see some lone fighter getting all the credit and think, he never would have survived his battle with Dr. Bloodsucker if it weren't for my bat mosquito repellent? I bet someone would want to show off their skills. Or maybe they realize all their efforts are going to a great cause, but there's only so much that one superhero can do. They might start to think that their developments would be more helpful if put into the hands of traditional law enforcement agencies. With many things in technology fields, the R&D costs are what make something impractical or expensive. Once someone has eaten those costs, the price of the devices themselves lower. Not always, but usually. So if a billionaire vigilante can afford to float the R&D costs to build one device, why not make a few more and donate them to other agencies? Why not train others in different states? Batman and Spider-Man are limited to a single city, pretty much. You'd think all the criminals would just leave town. Go two towns over where there is no masked Avenger. If nothing else, you'd think superheroes would license out their technology to offset their costs. And maybe they do. Or maybe one of these guys on the superheroes team just want to be rich and thinks the Chinese military would play a pretty yuan for some of his technology. I just think it would be hard to keep all the people behind the scenes quiet for years. Someone would at least come forward like in any conspiracy theory and make a claim, even if it wasn't true. Okay, enough of the pit crew talks. But, but back to sharing things. Do you think NASA would really, really appreciate for Superman to help them get some payloads into orbit? One of the biggest challenges NASA has in spaceflight is funding the delivery of heavy payloads off the planet. It takes more fuel and larger rockets to get a heavier object into space. That makes the trip more expensive. There's numerous manned and unmanned missions that are grounded simply due to the economics of liftoff. 
I think NASA would beg Superman or any super strong flying entity to help them launch a few larger craft. Not to do all the work, but just in areas where we can't afford to do it. Of course, this might actually bring about the end of NASA as legislators decide that they need less and less funding since Superman can do it. But that's not really his job. And would he want compensation for it? So is it okay for him to save lives but not money? Even though saving billions on NASA would mean we could have those billions to provide better aid for the needy, reform health care, and fill in a pothole or two. Any FBI agents listening might immediately think of national security issues. If Superman is going to help our space program, will we not want him helping other countries? You know, countries that might become a threat if they gain access to real-time satellite imaging. I've heard some officials not happy about Google Earth for similar reasons already. Now, some might claim this is where Star Trek's Prime Directive comes into play. It essentially states that you cannot interfere with the development of a lesser civilization. And in this case, we would be the lesser civilization. Part of the idea is to not give an immature society access to technology before it's responsible enough to use it. But it also means you can't provide aid for them. I doubt Superhero is going to choose not to save people in certain countries just because he doesn't live there or they're underdeveloped. If he helps any space program, he'd likely be forced from a political perspective, to help others. But he'd probably just stay away from that altogether. But with all of superheroes' advanced technologies and abilities, two other things come to mind. One, why do they seem to avoid guns? I know they have powers and other technologies, but think of all the needless property damage done while fighting hand-to-hand as well as all the close calls that occur. These could have been avoided with just a quick shot to the leg. It would also be really helpful when Lex shows up with a brick to kryptonite. Just shoot the guy! Well, I know the answer to that. Then they would be just like cops. And it would be more realistic, and that's no fun. Somehow Spider-Man getting into a gun battle a la Commando just doesn't sound as interesting. But on to my second thing. Why do all their technologies revolve around their namesake? Batarang, spider beacons, which are little homing beacons shaped like spiders. Why shape the thing like a bat or a spider or a bird? Does anybody else name things like this? Do we normies have something called a human beacon? Do we shape our phones like little dolls? Do we drive around in people mobiles with images of generic faces on the sides and hood? Am I recording this on a man pewter? Just name the damn thing after what it is. Shape it in the shape that makes sense for its function like the rest of the damn world for crying out loud. And now, the single biggest issue I have with superheroes and it has nothing to do with them directly. Instead, it has to do with structural integrity. Did you know that the bumper of your car likely wasn't meant to be used as a handle? Did you know that if you were to attempt to pick up your car by the bumper with, say, a crane, it would probably just shatter, since today it's likely made of fiberglass? Or it might be ripped from your car. But it was intended to be used as a crumple zone for impacts. Did you know that the metal on the outside of your car is not structural? There are beams in cars that provide the strength. The outside is meant to make it look real purdy and often provides more crumple zones. The outside is really, really thin. So if, say, a fire engine were falling off a bridge and you, as a giant tan rock beast with super strength, attempt to pick up the vehicle from the bumper, you'd quickly be left alone holding a piece of a bumper in your mighty four-fingered hands. Fire engines can easily weigh 10 tons or more. Do you really think a bumper and its bolts were meant to withstand that kind of pulling force? And it's not just 10 tons of force that is the problem. It's 10 tons of force placed in a hand-sized area. So, 10 tons of force per square foot. Was that bumper meant to handle that? 
Of course not. And yet, time and time again, superheroes pick up things like boats, buildings, and frozen bogs. All that lifting force applied to the structure in a very small place. They hold on to internal walls of boats to pull them up out of the depths of the sea, or pick up a plane from one tiny spot underneath it. These objects cannot withstand that type of concentrated force. Or they punch an oncoming truck to stop it. Never mind that their mass is more important than their force. I mean, a bullet has a lot of force, but little mass. When you shoot an 18-wheeler, you're not going to stop it, unless you hit a vital component. But that will just stall it. It won't stop it from moving if it's already in motion. You know, that whole inertia thing. A humanoid-sized hero isn't massive enough to stop a truck. What's worse is when those objects are people. Our heroine hurdles earthward after being tossed over the side of a 70-story building, only to be caught by our hero just feet from the ground. It's not the impact with the ground that kills people, it's the sudden deceleration to their bones and organs. It doesn't matter how stringy your arms are or what technology you have, the human body can only survive so many G-forces. As such, it can only decelerate a certain amount maximum. At terminal velocity, the fastest the average human can fall on Earth, which is around 120 miles an hour, you're going to need more than a few feet to slow down. Yes, I know, there are cases of people surviving things like that, but not without injury, and more often than not, a housewife wearing no safety gear going from 120 to zero in two feet is going to die very quickly. If nothing else, her neck will probably snap. But let's say our hero catches her in a safe manner. How painful would it be for the heroine to be carried around while flying or being pulled up a bat cable? I mean, imagine having someone holding up your entire body just by wrapping a single arm around your waist. Your entire body weight in your gut. For a similar feeling, go to a deck and lean over the railing until all your weight is on your gut. Ouch. Now imagine holding up your own weight with your own arm for any length of time as some flying superhero carries you through the air. This isn't a good way to carry people. We don't ride horses hanging around their neck. The most comfortable way for superheroes to transport damsels would be to have the savee ride on the superhero's back or shoulders. Superman needs a saddle. <sighs> I could go into supervillains, like how stupid they are. You shoot someone twice and they don't stop. Maybe they're wearing body armor, so you should shoot them in the face. And when that doesn't work, run! And who the hell really wants to rule the world anyway? Bunch of bureaucratic tedium, if you ask me. Not very rewarding. But I can see by the clock that's not on my wall that I really should start wrapping this puppy up. There's at least 49 other areas I didn't cover, but it's time to sum up and move on with life. Now, you might think I'm taking these stories way too seriously. They're just stories meant to entertain and possibly provide hope for a better future. Yeah, I'm aware of that. But where do you draw the line? Where does entertainment cross the line of good storytelling into the absurd? If you allow your hero to do anything, that takes away from it. It particularly takes away from it when they do something really fantastical to get themselves out of the climactic battle and you're left wondering... Well, hell, if you could do that all along, why didn't you just do that to begin with? A scene from Lord of the Rings where Gandalf calls upon a bird for assistance comes to mind. If you could just fly, why the weeks-long journey over rough terrain? But I will tell you where it does really bother me. I honestly believe that some, I said some, people are, quote, learning, unquote, from things like this. This distorts physics and puts quick fixes into the spotlight. This can train people to oversimplify other areas where life and death really do matter, where true heroism is important. All you gotta do is pick up the boat, problem solved. All you gotta do is send food, problem solved. Being a hero isn't just about being the guy that actually pulled the child out of the raging river before she goes over the falls. What about the logistics coordinator that organized the people and the equipment? What about the guy that had the forethought to put the equipment and its maintenance into the town budget? I'm sure many of these superhero issues I brought up can be explained away in excruciating triviality. 
And that's fine. I'm not out to destroy superheroes. I know many people enjoy them, so keep enjoying them. Have fun. Now, some of my favorite superhero stories are several short stories on a skate pod called the Union Do series, I think, by Jeffrey R. Durego. It puts a much more realistic, although darker, spin on the whole thing. I also noticed that many modern superheroes are trying to be more realistic. At least the wing of the plane in Superman Returns broke off when he tried to stop it. And Cyclops made a joke in the original X-Men about wearing yellow stretch pants, a shot at Wolverine's classic attire. I'll leave you with some forgettable words from Peter Parker's discerning Uncle Ben. My great-grandson gave me this wonderful tie on the occasion of my birthday. It is a splendid addition to my collection, expressing his individuality as well as my own. Something I feel both a quality tie and quality rice should do. Oh, damn it. Wrong Uncle Ben. And for what it's worth, I'll be roaming the halls of Dragon Con. I've never been, so we'll see what happens. Website, logicallycritical.com. Email, podcast at logicallycritical.com. So while I was doing research for this episode, I decided to suffer through the 1997 crap fest, Batman and Robin. You know, that I hope it was really intended to be a joke starring George Clooney as a grown man in a bat suit and Arnold Schwarzenegger as a man with both an ice fetish and a bad taste in awkward mechanical suits. It's two hours of embarrassingly bad dialogue and Uma Thurman as Plant Girl. Fortunately, since it wasn't directed by Quentin Tarantino, we were spared the sight of her ugly giant feet. What little plot there was basically went like this. Someone bet Arnold Schwarzenegger he couldn't make a worse movie than Jingle All the Way. That, and if you parade Alicia Silverstone in tight leatherette, people will pay money to see what they could see otherwise for free in an Aerosmith video. It culminated in a blazingly childish fight scene in an observatory located in what must be the most hard-up-for-astronomy city in the world. Usually observatories have difficulty obtaining funding, but this one was built in the outstretched and cantilevered arms of a 150-foot statue, an amazing engineering feat that must have been designed with the idea of lobbing superheroes over its high-priced legging. So in this movie, Mr. Freeze gets the idea of freezing the city for some ungodly stupid reason. And Batgirl, played mostly by Alicia Silverstone's breast, proposes using satellites to melt the ice. There seemed to be some senseless deadline requiring a quick thawing, other than the fact that freezing someone instantaneously in a block of ice is probably deadly for other reasons. They also seem to neglect the whole thawing out issue that cryogenics consider highly critical. So Arnie, as Mr. Freeze, extols such lines as Freeze in hell, which makes no sense, leaving Robin and Batgirl to keep falling out of the observatory like my grandma falling out of bed. They must have fallen ten times. It's like Gravity was one of the film's sponsors. As they fall, they have little discussions about who will save who, how lovely their eyes are, and whether or not Johnny left the iron on. Then it suddenly dawns on them. Just like the last five times they fell out of the observatory, they could just use their bat grappling hook. If nothing else, the entire movie is worth a watch just for the 84 bat grappling hook scenes. It keeps ripping into the walls of the observatory like a knife through a cooked Jiffy Pop container. Maybe building an observatory out of crumpled aluminum to offset the cost of a giant statue base was an even better idea. And in the end, I'm left thinking, do you know how hard it would be to freeze an entire city instantaneously? Do you realize how much energy, either chemically or electrically, it would take to go from, say, 80 degrees to being frozen while you're walking? If you could harness that type of energy... Maybe you should just sell that technology and then you can buy a new wife instead of taking her death out on a defenseless city.